Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. 2018, a year for President Trump that probably felt like a few long years. Much of that sense comes from a series of mounting legal threats that surround the president. And so as this year comes to a close, we'll take this episode and next week's episode to unravel the details of where all of those swirling allegations and investigations stand. Next week, we'll recap the year's notable moments and what may come soon from the ongoing investigation led by Robert Mueller. But this week, we're focusing on the many other legal challenges that Trump faces as the year comes to a close. Namely, the suits and investigations into Trump's charity and Trump's business in New York. What have these ongoing legal matters in New York taught us about the president, his business, and his foundation? Might Trump soon face legal limitations despite his power as president? And how can we expect these suits and investigations to unfold in the coming year? This is Can He Do That? A podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. Let's start with what we knew about these New York-based legal matters when we were heading into 2018 and explore how far we've come since then. Well, we were just trying to understand a lot of things about Trump's business. Was it succeeding? Was it failing? That's David Farenthold. You likely remember him at this point from many of our previous episodes of Can He Do That? He's our in-house whiz on Trump's charity, the Trump Foundation, and Trump's business, the Trump Organization. I asked him where his reporting was leading him a year ago, right around this time. We had this question about who was trying to influence Trump through his business and whether that would cause legal problems for him in the form of an emoluments clause lawsuit. There were these things out there. People were suing him for violating the Constitution, which bans presidents from taking emoluments from foreign governments. But there wasn't really any sign. We weren't sure how many governments had actually tried to pay money at his businesses. And we also weren't sure whether the legal cases against him would work. I mean, these are... This is a basically a part of the Constitution that nobody's used in 200 years. You know, would they these legal challenges using that old piece of language in the Constitution, would they work? Using the Constitution in ways that we haven't had to use it for many years That's seems right. to be a recurring theme, at <laughs> least here on Can He Do That? <laughs> so are there threads that then emerged over the course of the year that took you by complete surprise? I would say two things. One, the emoluments clause lawsuits haven't worked, I mean, so far. They've gotten a lot further than I thought maybe they would. The D.C. and Maryland attorneys general sued Trump for violating the emoluments clause. That survived two sort of legal hurdles so far. It's a federal case in, in Maryland. Now they're to the discovery phase. So they've now been able to send demands to the Maryland and D.C. attorney generals have sent discovery demands to the Trump organization saying, who are your foreign customers? What are they paying you for? Did you advertise to get them? You know, you're giving out bonuses to get foreign government business. That's been one thing. They're actually the, – these answers that I thought were almost unknowable may be known, maybe not by me, but by somebody in government soon. The second thing was the degree to which the Saudi element would would emerge as kind of a theme of emoluments. You know, we we knew of a few scattered instances at the beginning of this year of governments using Trump's hotel in D.C. to have embassy parties and things like that. 
We didn't really understand until late in the year how much the Saudi government and Saudis in general had spent in his properties and what a, what an interesting increase there had been in Saudi business at his hotels since Trump won the election. There's an instance we wrote about a couple of weeks ago where right after Trump was elected, the Saudi government's lobbyists, so using Saudi money, paid for more than 500 rooms at Trump's hotel in D.C. in three months. So that's one example where money from a U.S. ally that clearly wanted to have leverage in the Trump organization flowed quickly to Trump through his hotels right after he was elected. That's something that's been mentioned a lot in the emoluments clause lawsuits. What about in regards to Trump's charity? How has your reporting evolved over the year on that? Well, that was something where we reported a lot about the Trump's charity in 2016, and we knew there was this attorneys general, attorney general in New York investigating Trump's charity. It wasn't clear where that would go in 2018. There was no lawsuit as of then. We weren't sure that investigation would sort of peter out or if it would become something big. And then a lot of things happened on that. Eric Schneiderman, the New York attorney general who had begun that investigation, resigned in disgrace after allegations of assaulting romantic partners. Then Barbara Underwood, the uh, new New York attorney general who took over after him, uh, she filed a lawsuit in June alleging that Trump had committed uh, persistently illegal conduct at his foundation, sued Trump, sued his three eldest children who were on the board of of a charity and sued the charity itself. So through that, we learned a lot more about the charity because we, you know, this is always a gratifying experience for a reporter to have somebody who has subpoena power and the power to compel testimony go after a subject that you've tried to understand as a reporter. So let's talk a little bit about that more specifically. The suit from the New York Attorney General was filed in June. What were the allegations specifically in that suit against Trump and his three eldest children? There's sort of three categories of allegations and all have to do with Trump using the charity in ways that charities are not allowed to be used. One was that he used the charity as kind of a checkbook for himself and his businesses. He used it to pay off legal settlements for his for-profit businesses. When the businesses owed people some money as part of a legal settlement, Trump would use his charity to pay the money instead and saved his businesses like $260,000 that way. The second thing was that he used the uh, charity to buy things uh, that he wanted and in one case to buy a portrait of himself for $10,000 that later wound up decorating the wall of his golf course at Doral. And the third thing was sort of the – this was the the question that first got me interested in the Trump Foundation back in 2016 was the use of the Trump Foundation, the charity, as kind of an arm of the Trump campaign in 2016. Trump used the charity's money, gave it away at, in the middle of his, of his political rallies as a way of demonstrating his wealth and his love for veterans uh, during the middle of the campaign. So one of the basic principles of charity law is you can't use your charity for political activity. And he used his charity as kind of a tool of his campaign. So spending the money to make to pay off legal settlements, to buy things for himself, and using the charity as an arm of his campaign, those are the sort of the three main allegations against Trump. So then on Tuesday, a settlement came in this suit. What did the investigation from the New York Attorney General find according to this settlement? Well, this is only a partial settlement. So they're seeking three different categories of penalties against Trump, and one of them was to shut down his foundation. Uh, and that was that that part was what was agreed to on Tuesday. So they said the Trump Foundation will now close down its remaining assets, which is about $1.7 million, will be given away under court supervision. So the court will choose the charities that get the money remaining in the Trump Foundation. Two other pieces of it are still ongoing. The, the New York AG has, uh, wants Trump to pay back I think it's $2.8 million in restitution, money that she feels the charity spent to benefit him, so now you should pay it back, plus millions of dollars more in penalties. And that she also wants to ban Trump from serving on the board of any nonprofit in New York State for 10 years. 
kind of a symbolic penalty because he's not on the board of any other charities in New York State, but a powerful symbolic penalty in that she wants the court to say, look, this is the most powerful man in the world. He lacks the moral fiber to run the Staten Island Little League. You know, we're going to declare that he should not supervise. He can't be trusted to supervise any nonprofit in New York for 10 more years. Those two pieces of the case, the fines and the ban on serving in nonprofit boards, those those go on. That lawsuit continues. So then, as you say, the shutdown of the Trump Foundation came out of this settlement. Is the decision to shut down the foundation an admission of wrongdoing on Trump's part? It's not. It's not. There's no formal admission of wrongdoing as part of this. Uh, but it is a concession to this case. I mean, it, the signal that it sends was this this case and the reporting that preceded it, which Trump had always attacked as a smear campaign, as, you know, p- politically motivated. Trump is making a concession to that. Uh, that there is something to it and that he he's, he wants to settle it and get out from under it. So he's closing down his foundation and agreeing to let a, a court supervise who he gives the remaining money to. But prior to the settlement, what was Trump's sort of public take on this particular investigation? Well, he's always said it was politically motivated. Schneiderman, who had started the investigation as a Democrat, had talked about how he was going to lead the resistance against Trump. So Trump had said, oh, this is just a Democratic smear tactic. The way he's defended the foundation in general, it's interesting because it shows that even now he doesn't seem to really grasp the rules that surround uh, charities. And so he says, well, all the money that the charity gave out, that my charity distributed, went to other charities. I didn't use it to buy a car for myself. I didn't use it to buy a trip to Europe or something like that. Every Every penny that I spent went to other charities, which is true, but it's not a defense because the way the law is written, you can't use the money in your charity to buy anything for yourself or to benefit yourself in any way, even if in the process of benefiting yourself, some money goes to a charity. So in this case, Trump paid money to charities from his charity, but in a way that saved his business's money. That's, that would still be wrong. The other interesting thing is he says, my foundation had zero overhead, very little overhead, Spent, you know, didn't pay any salaries, didn't have any employees, which is true, but maybe it needed a little more overhead because the <laughs> if you look at the charity, at the IRS filings for Trump's foundation over a period of 16 years, from 01 to 16, he spent a total of $163 on legal fees. That's like, I don't know, $7 a year or something. You know, maybe a little more overhead, a little more legal fees would have saved him some headache down the road. Every year, if you operate a charity like the Trump Foundation, you have to fill out this IRS form and it, 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 it to sort of preclude the idea that you could be ignorant of how the way the law works, it makes you go through all these boxes, check all these things, read all these things that say, here are the rules. You know, every year, here's your reminder of what the rules are. Did you break this rule? Did you break that rule? And every year it would ask, did you spend any money out of this foundation to benefit yourself? Did you give any political donations? And even when he had, he'd always check no. So, you know, th- there was a chance every year for him to read these forms and he signed them anyway, signaling that at least he was promising he knew what was in them. So it's hard now to make the, to make the argument like, I just didn't know when there was like an annual requirement for him to bone up on it and he never did. So then if the investigation found wrongdoing by Trump and his children, why are none of them indicted in this instance? You're right. They have not been indicted. This is a civil lawsuit. The way the law is written in New York State, the New York Attorney General's powers are sort of limited in charity cases. And so Barbara Underwood, the New York AG, said, you know, in this case, I believe my powers do not allow me to bring criminal charges in any uh, charity case. I'm limited to civil enforcement. So she has sent referrals to the IRS and to the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, which do have power to bring criminal charges if they want, uh, and said, you know, maybe you should pick up this investigation and run with it. We don't know what they have done with it. They haven't commented so far. Uh, but she has only, used, only sought civil penalties. The end of the Trump Foundation, as David mentioned, does not yet mean the end of the New York Attorney General's investigation into the president's charity. 
And still, the investigation into his charity is just one of the legal threats Trump faces in the year ahead. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Prosecutors in New York are looking beyond Trump's charity into a much bigger operation, Trump's business. Over the past year, the Trump Organization has come under major scrutiny by the Southern District of New York's federal prosecutors. They have been looking into campaign finance violations and the Trump Organization's participation in those. Uh, there are other you know, investigations of Trump Organization's involvement in the Trump Tower Moscow deal, but the the, the legal environment for Trump will change, probably not for the better, uh, in New York State at the beginning of next year because there's a new, uh, newly elected New York Attorney General, Tish James, and she has said – she said just a couple of days ago in an interview with NBC that probing the Trump organization, looking at its tax returns, looking at it, the Trump Foundation, looking at emoluments, those are some of her top priorities for the year. So it seems like there will be more scrutiny from the New York State regulators than rather than less. Are there currently any investigations into Trump's tax practices at this moment, which have been shrouded in mystery since he was running for president? Uh, not that we know of. So there, the I think when the Democrats take over in the House, they've said many times they want to get Trump's tax returns, and there are some legal provisions that could allow them to request them from the IRS. One of the things that the new New York AG, Letitia James, talked about was investigating this great story from the New York Times a couple of months ago that looked into the sort of very unusual and the Times described them as fraudulent tax practices used by Fred Trump, Donald Trump's father, and then by Donald Trump himself as a way of concealing or hiding or minimizing tax liability. So Trump's taxes could be under investigation in a couple different places in a month when those new people take over. I don't know of any people that are investigating them now. Okay, so something that is being investigated now, or at least is a, a suit in process, is a, a little bit lesser known. It's in the New York court system, a defamation suit from a former Apprentice contestant. What are the details of that suit? So Summer Zervos, the former Apprentice contestant, uh, alleged that Trump had, during the campaign, alleged that Trump had sexually harassed her back when she was an Apprentice contestant. Trump, Trump's response was to denigrate her, and she sued Trump for defamation. That case, uh, the, the, it's at a stage where Summer Zervos' attorneys want to take a deposition from Donald Trump. They want to bring him in and question him. And it seems like the main thing standing between Trump and that request for a deposition is a legal question in New York State. Trump has said uh, – he's made the argument that because he is a sitting president, he should not be subject to civil suit in any state. Like a sitting U.S. president just can't be sued in state court for any reason because of the separation of powers. You know, it's a distraction from the presidency. Um, that doesn't seem to be an argument that will hold water. It's something that was sort of talked about but not specifically tested in uh, the Bill Clinton era. So they're now waiting on a New York appeals court to decide, is Trump right? Is he immune from suit in New York state or not? If they decide he is immune from suit in New York state, that helps him a lot with some reservos and with the Trump Foundation. If they rule against him and say, the, you know, these are things you did before you were president, there's no reason you can't be sued in state court, um, then he'll have to face uh, discovery in the in deposition in the Zervos case and more consequences in the Trump Foundation case. And so that decision, whether or not he can be held accountable for these things in the court system, comes down to the court system? 
Yeah, exactly. It comes down to, <laughs> to a New York State appeals court. You're asking the court to sort of take power out of their own hands. So we have all of these investigations or impending investigations and possible investigations. Much of the national conversation is focused on the Mueller investigation. Mm -hmm. So can you explain how, if at all, this second bucket of investigations relates back to the Mueller investigation? Its main relationship has been so far that uh, people who are in legal – Michael Cohen particularly – that are in legal jeopardy because of the New York-based investigation to save their own skin are now offering help to the Mueller investigation. You know, In Cohen's case, offering what he knows and admitting to having lied about the, the prospects of a Trump Tower Moscow and what Trump did to reach out to the Russian government for help during the 2016 campaign. Not help with his campaign necessarily but definitely help with this Trump Tower Moscow deal. Um, so people that are in legal jeopardy in Trump's orbit in, in New York are helping with the Mueller investigation in Washington to help themselves. Trump has repeatedly called the Mueller investigation a witch hunt. But these other investigations that we've talked about, how has he messaged against these legal threats outside of Mueller's purview? One of the interesting things about these mounting legal threats is it's harder and harder for Trump to mount like a, a – to be on the offense, right? There's so many different places that people are coming at him and the issues are so different that when it was just one opponent, it was easier to sort of come up with a line of, you know, defaming those people or to, you know, a line of undercutting their uh, their right to challenge him, their own moral turpitude. So Hillary's crooked, Mueller's a Democrat, his teams are Democrats. The more angles these things come in from, it's hard for him to keep up one narrative, a simple narrative about, uh, you know, who all is against him and why they're against him. It's been interesting to watch him. I feel like the, the Trump had this ability at the beginning of 2017 to command the entire news or, you know, news media architecture in America with one tweet. And He's lost that offensive capability. He's now back on the defensive all the time. So I think he's struggling to keep that, you know, ability where to sort of dictate the terms on which his opponents are viewed. Right. But we all know the term a vast right wing conspiracy. Is he sort of creating the inverse of that, saying this entire thing, all of these investigations, all of this is a big apparatus politically motivated to keep me down? Yes. Uh, that, I think that's his idea. But the different players are so complicated and there's so many of them. I think it's harder to spin that web. Certainly that's what he's trying to do. In terms of a timeline, when do you foresee some of these investigations coming to a close? Is this all going to end in 2019? It's really hard to know where all these go and where they end up. I don't think that we're going to get like a neat little bow on them in the next month. But other than that, I don't know. All right. Well, then what are you looking out for in the coming year? My job is, a, you know, I covered the Trump organization now and Trump's conflicts of interest. And our, our job, I think, will change next year from the last two years has been spent by us. The problem has been too little information. We're just scratching and clawing to find out a little bit of insight into the, the individual Trump properties or, you know, somebody who might know something just to see little tiny, you know, snapshots of this whole beast and how it works. And I think our problem next year might flip and become, you know, this is a good problem to have too much information. We're going to have congressional committees chasing all kinds of different leads about the Trump organization. We're going to have the emoluments lawsuits. We're going to have probably more developments in all these federal investigations. We're going to learn so much problem for me as a reporter is going to is going to go from you know just trying to make a narrative or trying to, to see the whole picture with just little pieces to being overwhelmed with information and just trying to keep up i'm overwhelmed thinking about it yeah exactly <laughs> so when you reflect on your reporting on of 2018 in the world of trump's let's say non-muller legal threats how would you assess this year for the president i feel like we, we're watching the scope and the ambition of the presidency shrink to where it's just defensive all the time, you know, trying to keep all the, you know, all the all the wolves at bay. 
Um, I think that's already had a huge impact on what his presidency is about. I mean, if you remember the first days of 2017, the Muslim ban, the you know all these big pronouncements, all these big ambitions in all kinds of different directions. It, he was sort of dictating the terms of American political debate and everybody else was back in their heels. We're obviously in a very different place now. So uh, I think that that 2018, you know, put aside the Democratic victory in the midterms, which is going to make a big change on its own. He just lost that ability to 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 dictate the terms of his presidency. And most of it was because of things he'd done before he was president. Uh, and that if he hadn't run for president, probably would never have been a problem for him. Mm-hmm. You know, to pick my little example, the Trump Foundation that went on for years when he the things he was doing all this time, they didn't all happen in 2016. We found out about him in 2016, but they happened, you know, years before. And nobody noticed because the IRS is overwhelmed and his charity was sort of too small to look into. You know, Trump Tower Moscow, all these things that he was doing, he probably would have continued to do them if he just hadn't run for president. And if particularly if he hadn't won, Uh, this is a guy who lived publicly but secretly his whole life. You know, he was in the public eye, but he he tried to tightly control what information you knew about him. And you can't do that when you're president, even if you really, really try hard. So I think we saw in 2018 those decisions. uh, And particularly the decision to run for president, expose himself to the, the, the sunlight of that job, catching up with him. All right. Well, we'll see what 2019 has in store for for our president. All right. Thank you, Dave, so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this special end-of-year episode of Can He Do That? We'll have one more end-of-year episode next week, just before the new year. And for all of your relatives you'll see over the holidays, if any of them are looking for podcast recommendations, you know where to send them. Thanks for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the hardworking Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. 